This is My Finest Work, where artists tell us the story behind their favorite projects to help us understand what makes a magnum opus. And here's your host, co-founder and managing director of Dog Ear Creative, Maureen Harmon. Eric Hatch has covered the world. He's photographed fragile environments from above the Arctic Circle to New Zealand, as well as the countryside and cities of Europe, Tahiti, and much of the United States. He's an architectural photographer with a special interest in infrastructure, and he also creates award-winning black-and-white environmental portraits. Eric puts his values right up front in his work. He's passionate about the climate and environment, deeply concerned with the stigma of addiction, and cares about protecting the beauty of the earth. On My Finest Work, we talked with Eric about two of his most well-known series, The Faces of Addiction, which gives voice to those in addiction and recovery, and Glaciers in Retreat, which documents the beauty and demise of Earth's glorious masses of ice. Welcome to this episode of My Finest Work. Today we welcome photographer Eric Hatch. Hi, Eric. Hello. <laughs> I came across Eric's work in Dartmouth magazine. The work that was in that issue was called Faces of Addiction. Really stunning and beautiful portraits. And I thought, Eric, we could start talking about that. Will you tell me a little bit about how that project came to be? Yeah, it's actually quite a story. I was driving east from Cincinnati, where I lived, to Hanover, actually, well, via Okemo skiing. And I got to thinking about it, and I said, geez, you know, I've been doing the same thing for a while. What could I do that's really kind of different? What would it be like? And I got instant answers, the first of which was black and white, the second of which was people, the mm -hmm. black and white for impact, because it's inherently an impactful form. And I wanted it to do some good in the world, and then it just hit me. You should be photographing addicted people and telling their stories, not just visually, but I'm a writer. Right. So w the process was that I would tape record their stories, and somewhere during the interview, I would start photographing when they were all relaxed and being themselves. Best time to do it, right? Anyway, I took this thing and we stopped in Saratoga Springs overnight with a friend called Gordon Boyd, and told Gordon and Sharon about this, and they said, do it. And I got on to Okemo, where a bunch of my classmates rent a ski house, and I walked in the door and told them about this, and they said, do it. And some of them said, how can we support it? How did you find people to participate? Three ways. First was a classified ad in Craigslist. Oh, really? Okay. Wanted actively addicted persons for serious art project and the second one was referrals addict a would refer me to addict b right and the third was hunting expeditions that year in february our heating system went out and, and my heating guy is called mike harris and he is a recovering alcoholic which i didn't know and he's built a little club for alcoholics to be dry in and I told him about this, and he said, I want in. And Mike is very blue-collar, a man of the people. So I went up to Hamilton, Ohio, and Mike started scouting around for people who looked to be addicted and would approach them. And if they wanted to talk, he'd bring them over to me, and we would start chatting, and then I'd photograph. Gotcha. And I'm curious. I mean, a lot of these folks are in very vulnerable points in their life. 
And I'm curious about how you make them comfortable, not only to tell their story, but also to take their photograph. Well, first of all, on the up and up, and I, I tell them what, what to expect and how their stuff will be used. I do require a model release from every one of them. Right. And we just talk, and, and, and there's a flow to the process. And some of them really get into it. Some of them want me to show you know, the horrors, which I really wasn't wanting to do. Right. And done. But I got several letters from people saying, well, one in particular, um, a woman who really looks messed up, Teresa Bradshaw, she said to me, you held up a mirror I had to look into. Hmm. This is like a year ago, and she's thriving. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, that makes your life, you know. Sure. So how did Dartmouth hear about the project? I think I wrote them and told them about it. Okay. And then it appeared in the magazine. Well, we spent some time on, on faces, but your actual quote-unquote finest work, and I know lots of people, you said earlier that you have a problem with the word finest, and I think I a, sure lot of people, a lot of people we interview say it's hard to pick that. But it's actually a project you worked on about glaciers. Can you tell us about it a little bit? Yeah, the name of the project is Glaciers in Retreat, and it started in 2010 when I spent a summer in Alaska, and on the way up, the very first glacier that I saw was the Athabasca Glacier along the Columbia Icefields Parkway going up on the edge between Alberta and British Columbia. And it was miserable weather, and you know, I looked at the thing, and I photographed it, and went on my way, and then when I got to Alaska, I encountered a whole bunch of glaciers, and I hadn't realized quite about the, the degree of retreat. Mm -hmm. But I got very lucky. I managed to hit free rides for aerial flights twice, and one of them was two and a half hours just bopping around the glaciers on the south side of Kachemak Bay. But it wasn't until I got back and started looking at these photos that I realized that some of these photos were depicting retreating glaciers. Right. And there was some ground-level work as well. And this was a 12-year endeavor for you. It takes you a while to go from Alaska to Iceland twice and to New Zealand. I don't have the resources to do that on the spur of the moment. So aside from time, aside from the time that you've put into the project, why does it stand out to you as your quote-unquote finest work? Why would you choose this one? Partly because the images are flat out beautiful. And I'm not the person saying that. I've, there's a lot of feedback to that effect. But they are. The, the, these natural forms, which involve repeated forms mm -hmm. and patterns, are incredibly beautiful. Uh, glaciers have a natural blue color because other light doesn't get through. You know, it's called glacier blue, and it's, it's, it's a slightly greenish shade of blue, and it's just gorgeous. You also get mud and brown and all kinds of other stuff. So it's my finest work because I've gotten better <laughs> in the yep, 12 years. I bet. I've been doing it. It speaks to what people know as an intellectual reality unless they're living in a catastrophe. Right. But it doesn't speak to what we're losing. This project does. And I hadn't realized it was a project until I'd gotten a fair number of glacier shots done. Until you were about five years in. Yeah, really. <laughs> Imagine. And, and then I started taking advantage when I could. For example, there's a picture of the Fox Glacier in New Zealand, 
which makes it absolutely clear the thing was retreated two miles in three years. Mm -hmm. And you can see that because where the picture is taken from is used to be the front wall of the glacier. Let's back up a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what led you to photography. Well, I've always had an interest in it. I submitted a picture to the uh, Goshen County Fair when I was 11 or so and won a blue ribbon. I love it. It was a cracked up black and white print, but it was looking up. There's a, Do you know about Mystic Seaport? I don't. Okay, it's in Connecticut. Okay. Collection of old ships, including a whaler. Uh, here's the Charles W. Morgan. And I took a picture looking up the masts and getting all the rigging and stuff. And that was the picture. So I got an interest, and then I got a little bit of training by a photographer named Guido Organsky. And then nothing, you know, I just did amateur stuff for the next 15 years or so. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about, would you say that you have a creative process? Like I was, I was thinking about when you said you didn't realize Glaciers was a project until you were into it a bit. So I'm, I'm curious about how you choose projects. And then once you know, how do you know you're onto something? It's a combination of head and heart. This is in, in particularly true of scenic, so we'll talk about those for the most part. I will see something that catches my eye, and I will be feeling something. And what I try to do as a photographer is capture not only the, the reality of the scene, but the feeling that I was feeling with it, mm -hmm. so that that gets communicated. This is spooky stuff. I, I can't really explain it. I don't think it's spooky. I think it's interesting. You just feel, you feel something around it. Well, I do. And, and that's why my work is good. It's because it's simultaneously got good technique at this point and good feeling. The other thing that is responsible for my work is having absolutely crappy eyesight. I've had 11 rounds of eye surgery starting at age six. Oh, my gosh. So I don't see details really well but I see patterns just fine. That's interesting for a photographer. You will see that I am really strong on composition. I'm really strong on repeated forms, on anything that involves internal patterns. I'll see them and grab them. Have you ever taken a photo and, and caught the details after the fact? Kind of looked at it and gone, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was even there. Oh yeah, that's happened. Yeah, that's interesting. That's happened. Uh, not just the details, but... I'll go through, I'll shoot a lot, and then I'll go through and I'll say, wait a minute, there's something going on here. Right. Now let's take a look at it. So you said it's it's a combination of head and heart, and you were saying that, you know, you choose a project because it makes you feel something. And I'm I'm curious, what was that feeling with glaciers, and what was that feeling with faces of addiction? Well, I had no knowledge about addiction when I started that project. Okay. So I had no prejudices. You know, I just wanted to hear what people had to say. I knew that it was an issue, of course, and that's why I was doing it. Right. But I didn't have any real preconceptions about the people. So I was open to what they had to say, and I was, I was listening. I wasn't talking. I was mostly listening. Right. About halfway through, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes along, I would pick up the camera and start to work. And all this was taped, so I had accurate records of it. Okay. What did you feel with glaciers? How did you know? Wow, well, they, they're, they're, glaciers are a kick. I mean, they are right. just gorgeous and powerful. And be, 
cause of the melt, and some melt is normal, but right. melting glaciers really are melting glaciers, and you can tell. And they just make you go, oh, not to mention the rise in sea level. Right. Look up the Thwaite Glacier in Antarctica, T-H-W-A-I-T-E. This puppy, if when it breaks loose in the next 20 years or so, is going to cause up to 10 feet rise in sea level. So, Eric, we talked a little bit, too, before we started recording about your memoir, which you're working on, or yep. it's coming out. It's getting ready to be published? Yeah, it's in final edits now. Tell me a little bit about it. The title is You Wouldn't Believe It Anyhow, and it's because I've had an extremely adventuresome life. And I have met a lot of very famous people and a lot of really interesting people who aren't famous in the least. I mean, characters in this book, this starts in 1871. Wow. And comes forward from there because you have to know who, who the family is before you can really get what was going on with me. Sure. The family was filthy rich and my immediate family wasn't. My dad earned it and spent it. Oh, no. The first sentence is... The atom bomb went off and I arrived. Oh, there you go. Right at the end of World War II, which the literal truth. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? God, pick one. Mary Martin, John Paul Getty Jr., um, Jacques Monod, who uh, was Nobel Prize winner, ran yeah. the Institute. And you said you've come in contact with a lot of interesting people who aren't famous at all. Who stands oh. out to you there? Oh, well, the guy who mentored me, called Whitney Lawton Brooks, various professors at Dartmouth, mm -hmm. a guy called just plain Devere, who lives in a log cabin in Bush, Alaska. Alaska's divided into Bush, Alaska and Road, Alaska. Right. This is Bush, Alaska, but just barely. It's a short walk from a road. And he lives in a log cabin. And I had met his granddaughter, and she said, go check out Devere and tell him... I asked after him, is he always doing? So I crossed the bridge with my dog, and here's this clearing with a number of log cabins in it. And I go, hey, Devere! <laughs> and he came out? door opens, and this little head pops out with a really shaggy beard and says, who's that? I said, your granddaughter sent me. Well, come on in and have a beer or coffee if you prefer. This is 10 in the morning. Right. <laughs> I said, I'll opt for the coffee. <laughs> and we had a great talk. I'm curious about, so you've been all over. You said you're 77. Yep. What's next for you on the, the photography front? What's next for you as kind of an artist? Well, the first thing was discovering that I am an artist. Tell me about that. That was recent. All of a sudden, people are treating me like an artist. And this is tricky for photographers because my stuff is what I would call romantic realism. Mm-hmm. That is the romantic part of shooting the feeling in realism is that I don't mess with it too much. I try to shoot what I see or would have seen had I decent eyes. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between being artistic and being really committed to the art involved in your work. Mm -hmm. I don't do portraits anymore. I mean, I will do black and white environment, environmental portraits like faces, but I don't go out and sell them. I'm not after them. Right. I'm after things that matter, that have social impact. Climate change surely does. Mm -hmm. Drug addiction surely does. I did one project, which was really a collection of existing photos called Hard Times for These Times, which 
was an attempt to use architecture to portray the internal state of mind of, a, of post-industrial America. Hmm. That could be added to. I could do more in that area. Well, we're going to keep an eye on the things that you do because I, I will tell you that when I saw Faces in Dartmouth magazine, it really stopped me. For me, I think you say that you know when you pick a project, it makes you feel something, but I think your viewer certainly feels something. Based on the projects that you pick, I certainly did. When I saw Faces, it was enough for me to immediately fire off an email to you. So, Eric, I want to thank you so much for taking time to, to talk to us. I loved hearing your stories. And we're going to keep an eye on the things that you do. Thanks so much for, for coming and talking about your finest work. Oh, you're very welcome, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you for listening to My Finest Work. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And please reach out to us with your feedback and ideas at mfw at dogearcreative.com.